0: Okay, once again, good morning. Good to see everybody. Uh, we are going to do something special this week and next. And um, as you know, the just a few days, we're going to be entering a new year, 2020. And as we enter this new year, it's critical that we have 2020 vision. That's the name of the message, okay? In other words, that we see clearly what's really important and worth pursuing in this new year and to do that we must see this year as well as every other year of course through the lens of God's Word pretty basic but very important all right there are those who will look at this new year through the lens of materialism greed success pleasure and of course power as we're in an election year that seems to be dominant in many people's minds however these lenses quote-unquote will produce a distorted view of life, leading to misplaced priorities, bad choices, and difficult, if not devastating, consequences for many. Guys, it's only when we view the new year, and of course life itself, through the lens of God's word, that things come into focus and become clear. You think, Christians, we would know that. Sometimes even we forget that. Some skeptic might ask, why the lens of God's word and not some other philosophical or ideological lens? Simply because God made us, and therefore, no one else knows us better than he does. Indulge me for a minute. If we look at God as our manufacturer, the Bible then becomes the manufacturer's handbook. Now, we just came through Christmas, and... uh, If you uh, received uh, a gift that was more along the lines of a complicated piece of technology, I love technology, computers and different pieces of technology, but they're complicated. And so they always come with an instruction manual that explains the product, how it works, how to care for it, and usually a section that tells how to troubleshoot problems that may arise and, of course, how to fix them. Well, the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Again, indulge me. We are a complicated piece of technology. And only the one who made us, our manufacturer, has the expertise to tell us how our lives were designed to operate and how to care for them spiritually and emotionally to ensure smooth operation and maximum productivity, and especially how to troubleshoot problems that arise during the course of our lives, what to do to fix them, as the Bible instructs, what is broken, how to fix what is broken, and bring us back to wholeness and to full working order. A lot of broken people out there. They could have their lives fixed if they would just pick up the manufacturer's handbook. Of course, most of them are unbelievers. But even some Christians, um... They believe God's, the Bible is God's word, but honestly, when it comes to the really tough things of life, they don't go to it. They don't really you know, think that it really has the answers, and they're turning to all kinds of worldly advice, experts. We'll talk about the experts more in a moment. Um, but the Bible in general is God's instruction manual for our lives, which, if followed, will allow our lives, including things like marriage, which God has ordained, to function the way God has designed them. Now, guys, here's our choice. We either follow God's instruction manual containing His wisdom for life, or we're left with trying to live our lives by following, listen, the wisdom of the world. Paul the Apostle said that God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. And guys, by the way, the wisdom of the world... 1 Corinthians 1 and other places in the New Testament. The wisdom of the world. simple definition is man trying to figure out life apart from God. That's the wisdom of the world, okay? Man trying to figure out life apart from God. God made the world's wisdom foolishness. How so? By taking lives that were busted, broken, and devastated by following the world's wisdom and then leading them to his word. And as people read it, got saved, began to apply it, guess what? Their lives were not just patched up, were made brand new, a new creation. And their lives, look, people can argue with your doctrine, all right? They cannot argue with a changed life. And they know you. Before you got saved, you were into drugs, alcohol. Your life was was falling apart. Your marriage failed. Everything was going wrong. And all of a sudden, here you're a Christian now, walking around with a Bible under your arm. And of course, initially, they want to write you off as a kook, c- uh, weirdo, you know, a nutcase. You've lost it. But then all of a sudden, they begin to notice, wait, you're, you're not a nutcase. You're not acting like a crazy person. You're calm. You have peace. Um, your life is taking you know it's it's not just going along just you know bouncing along cuz it's broken and just been fixed patched up i mean your life is really taking off there's fruit there's peace there's joy wow when the world looks at what they have been feeding on in the way of man's wisdom and what it has brought into their life and then they look at you who have been feeding on the word of god god's wisdom It's night and day, and it exposes the world's wisdom for what it really is, utter foolishness, utter foolishness. But we have the experts, don't we? Our culture has come to a place where we can't function without an expert's input. You ever notice that? It used to be where neighbors would, uh, Christian brothers and sisters would would, you know, give each other common sense. And I'll pray for you and share a scripture here and there. And that was the counseling. There were no professional counselors in the old days, right? It was the body of Christ, ministering, but just giving the word of God, right? Today, we need an expert. You're not qualified to give advice for people's lives unless you're some kind of an expert. You know what President Harry Truman once said about experts? He said, and I quote, an expert is someone who refuses to learn anything new because then he would no longer be an expert. And that's, that's true. And that is true with all the so-called experts in the world today who constantly pass out advice for living from their you know, ivory towers as they cast down to the masses their pearls of wisdom, right? And yet they themselves, have you ever checked out their lives? Check out the highest suicide rate among the professionals and experts. Psychologists and psychiatrists have the highest suicide rate. You know why I think? And I'm not an expert. I think it's because... Here they are the ones that everyone's looking to for answers, and they don't even have the answers for their own lives. Talk about depressing. Who do they turn to? No man, because they're the expert. If they don't turn to God, I can understand why they just check out. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. Their own lives are often a mess. Jesus said, physician, do what? Heal thyself. I was watching a, a program years ago. And, uh, and and they, had, they were uh, interviewing this, uh, this expert on marriage, this, this woman, right? And uh, charges $300 for a weekend, marriage weekend, for couples to go to to fix their marriages. Then the person interviewing her said, but I've discovered that you've been married and divorced five times. How does a person married and divorced five times help others with their marriage? You know what she said? Well, I think that people can relate to me. Okay, if you're divorced, you can definitely relate to a person who's been divorced, remarried. But that doesn't mean they should be giving us advice. Physician, heal themselves, right? I mean, this is the, the mentality we have today. It would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. These are the people everyone else is going to. They don't have answers for their own lives yet people feed on this mentality. And they've been made to believe that man's wisdom is better than God's word for living their lives. And so they reject the Bible in favor of the wisdom of the world, which is again utter foolishness. But but in fact, guys, that's not the worst of it. It's worse than that. James tells us that the wisdom of the world is earthly, sensual, and demonic, and produces selfishness confusion, and every evil thing, whereas he goes on to say the wisdom that is from above, that comes from God, is full of good fruits, which means it produces many blessings in a person's life that embraces the Word of God. Turn to Psalm 1. I'm sure many of you were thinking of that psalm as we were talking, because that's the go-to psalm, uh, go-to scripture for uh, this topic in, in a lot of ways. I'll read it to you out of the NLT, second edition. Psalm 1, starting with verse 1, talking about not going to the world for anything in the way of advice and counsel. We have the wonderful counselor who lives inside of us through the Holy Spirit. Really, think about it. Where are we going to turn? Right? The, the word of God is perfect converting the soul, the psalmist said in Psalm 19. It's pure. It's pure. I mean, how are you going to take what is pure and perfect? And I've heard Christians say, I take the word of God, and I mix it with some secular expert wisdom, and I have blended them together into a superior counseling methodology. I had a professor in college who was a pastor who taught on, uh, on counseling at a class I took. Really. I had to challenge him after class. I don't want to do it in class. I mean, he might get mad, and I wouldn't get a good grade. But I asked to see him after class. And I said, did I hear you right? You take the Bible and mix it with the secular, and you think that gives you a superior counseling methodology? That's right. If I had only used the Bible many times, I would have missed it in my counseling uh, episodes or, you know, what I was doing. Okay, well, I just walked out knowing, look, I know the Bible says that it's pure, it's perfect. Again, Psalm 19 how are you going to take something that is polluted like man's wisdom, and mix it with the word of God and come up with a superior counseling method? That's deception. That's last day's deception that the word of God is not adequate, not sufficient to handle the complex problems of today's society. It was back in the old days when they were you know driving, riding horses and things like that. But today, why? Because we have technology. At our core, we're still the same. I don't care if we have an iPod or a cell phone or whatever you got going on. We're still the same people inside. But here, Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Talking about hanging out with unbelievers, getting wisdom and counsel from them. But they delight, God's people, delight in the law of the Lord, word of God meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves shall never wither, and they prosper in all they do. In other words, as long as you keep drinking from the wells of God's word, you will continue to prosper emotionally, spiritually. You'll you'll never get dry. Now, Christians get dry. They dry out and stop bearing fruit. Why? Because they uproot themselves from the word of God and don't feed on it and drink from it every day now you might be thinking is there one thing okay the bible i know it's important but is there one thing one principle or instruction or commandment in the bible that god stresses above all the others you know the one that is the most important of them all is there something like that in the word well actually there is And you know how I know that? Because Jesus said it was the most important. Turn to Mark 12. And let's look at verses 30 and 31. Now somebody asked Jesus, the scribe, what was the greatest of all the commandments? This was a running debate that the scribes and Pharisees and the uh, scholars of that day had. What was the, of the 613 commandments in the law, which was the greatest? They all had their favorites, but they wanted to know from this rabbi who seemed to know everything about the word. He, he, he is the word. Okay. Well, they didn't understand that at the beginning, but they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? He tells them here in Mark 12, verse 30, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And with all your strength. This is the first. The Greek is supreme. Above all the other commandments. And the second is like it. Uh, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now guys, I can make the case that the second flows from the first. In other words, if I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'm going to love others, my neighbors, At least as much as I love myself, and probably more so because the spirit of a God is inside of me, Romans 5, 5, and has poured out God's agape love into my heart, which is sacrificial. I love people more than I love myself, okay? But here's what I'm getting at. So the greatest is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God stresses this in his word. Jesus said it directly. This is the greatest of all the commandments for living a blessed and productive life, loving God with our whole being. It's at the top of the list. This then becomes, guys, the lens. We're looking at the Bible being the lens through which we view life, this new year or life in general. The Bible is the lens then the greatest verse in the Bible is that we love God with all our heart soul mind and strength guys that is the lens that we must view the new year through the standard by which we measure our entire lives by measure our entire lives by including every pursuit we undertake in the new year Look, this morning we're standing at the threshold of a new year, obviously. Wednesday is the beginning of the new year. And of course, every new year, every new year brings with it new hope. Well, hope that in this new year, God will make our lives new. In the sense of bringing into our lives new opportunities new strength for victory over old sins, maybe a new relationship if you're single and been praying for someone that you could spend your life with. The hope, in other words, the hope that this year is going to be better maybe than last year. That's why every new year starts out with all that hope. In this coming new year, there are probably certain things that you'd like to see changed, things that you'd like to be different. The problem is, guys... The problem for most people, when they enter into a new year, all they do is listen, hope that things will change. All they do is engage in wishful thinking that things will be different, but they never do anything to bring any change about. Now certainly God has his part in change. I can't do his part, but I also have my part, and God won't do my part. Today we're going to talk about our part, all right? Of course, undergirding the whole message is that none of it can be done without the power of God. But he works through those who want change, who are doing whatever they can do because God has told us to be responsible and faithful. We do our part and trust him to do his part, which is to bring about the change, okay? Because I, I say this because a lot of people, you know, what's the old song, wishing and hoping and thinking and praying? That things are going to be changed, that they're going to change, but they don't. Is it because they're, they're relying on God to do everything? Look, God is not going to wake you up in the morning, levitate you into the front room, put your Bible in your hand and say, okay, have your devotions. You Got to set the alarm earlier than maybe you usually do to get up for work because it's it's important to you. You want that. And as you do, God will honor and give you the strength to be, to be faithful in it. If we're not, if it's just, I'm just wishing, I'm hoping. Well, keep on wishing and hoping. But if you don't do anything to bring about change, it probably won't come. And that's why, guys, it doesn't take long for the hope of a new year to become the same old defeat and discouragement of the past. All right? So what can we do to make this year different? Well, the first thing you do, I do, is to purpose, listen, looking at the greatest commandment of all, the first thing we do is to purpose to love God with all our heart. Remember Jesus said, here's the greatest command: First of all, you love God with all your heart. Somebody has said years ago, I've heard this and I've never forgotten it, love God with all your heart and then do, it, do anything you want. Do whatever you want. What does that mean? Hey, if you really love God with all your heart, it's going to impact what you do in life. We want change? Okay, it starts with loving God with all your heart. Let's break it down a little. To love God with all your heart means that you have to, listen, purpose certain things in your heart. You got to purpose certain things in your heart. A fruitful... And blessed life doesn't happen on accident, it happens on purpose, starting with purposing to live in obedience and commitment to God. Remember what it says of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, you don't have to turn to it, I'll read it to you, as Daniel and his three, uh, two buddies, excuse me, three buddies, were taken as teenagers to Babylon, uh, you know, in the captivity, and uh, They were uh, tested. That's what they did in Babylon. They tested all the young slaves brought over from whatever area they conquered to see who was the brightest of them all in each culture. Then they would put those into their leadership program. Pretty smart. That way they always had the best of the best in leadership and for various things in the kingdom and all. Well, they put Daniel and his three friends in this program. And the king gave them orders, of course, to feed them from the finest of the king's meats and pastries and wines because they were being groomed for special service to the king in the kingdom. The problem was that food, that meat had been offered to idols, as was the common practice in those days. And Daniel was a committed Jew along with his three buddies. And they were not going to eat anything that had been defiled by being offered to an idol. And so... It says here that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And you read on, and they asked to be put on a vegetable diet, a vegetarian diet, and they they flourished because God allowed them to flourish uh, in that in that eating that food, but. Um, Notice, Daniel was in Babylon, 700 miles away from Jerusalem, which was destroyed. Uh, Many believers would have felt like, well, you know, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. God can't expect me to, 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 to remain committed to all the principles and laws of Judaism here. I'm far away from home, so I'll just eat the king's food. See, Daniel didn't feel that way. He didn't, it didn't matter where he was, what group of people he was with. Some Christians are one way in church, and when they get out in the world, and the place they work at and around unbelievers, that completely different. Daniel was not that way. He was going to honor God, whether it was in Jerusalem or Babylon. It Didn't matter. And so he refused to eat of the king's delicacies, and purpose to. But he purposed. He purposed in his heart. He was going to honor God. Christians are not purposing in their hearts, and therefore they're not loving God with all their hearts today. Uh, George Barna, in a survey that came out a few years ago, made these shocking claims as they surveyed Christians. Christians now, uh, it says, and I'm quoting the survey. Although large majorities of the public claim to be deeply spiritual and say that they that their religious faith is very important in their life. Only 15% of those who regularly attend Christian church ranked their relationship with God as the top priority in their life. The article goes on, the notion of personal holiness has slipped out of the consciousness of the vast majority of Christians in America, I would imagine, while just 21% of adults consider themselves to be holy. By their own admission, large numbers have no idea what holiness really is what it means and only one out of every three roughly 33 percent believe that god expects people christians to become holy end quote another survey that that was conducted around the same time which compared the ethics of christian and non-christian adults found that i'm just quoting the survey almost as many christians steal from work as non-christians this is going back a few years you can tell by this next one Almost as many Christians use company phones for personal long-distance calls as non-Christians. Christians Christians are just as likely as non-Christians to falsify their income taxes, commit plagiarism, give bribes to obtain a building permit, ignore construction specs, illegally copy computer programs, steal time from work, exaggerate their products as salespeople, selectively obey the law, etc., I'd like to say that we Christians in the new year need to work harder at uh, having our walk match our talk. And that goes for all of us, I'm not singling anybody out, I'm not, and especially not our church. We have to change too, no doubt. I'm talking about the, the Christian church in America, in, Christians in general in America. But that idea of loving God with all your heart. I love Ezra 710. Ezra was a priest. And it says here in Ezra 7, verse 10, for Ezra, listen, had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. That's just another way of saying the word of God and to do it and to do it and to teach God's statutes and ordinances to others in Israel. Did you get that? Ezra sought the Lord by studying the word of God with the whole purpose and intent to do whatever God had placed in His Word, there's so a lot of Christians who come to church, hear the Word, read the Word. Maybe it's just that a lot of them don't really intend to apply all of it into their lives. Maybe here and there, but if the situation presents itself where to keep God's Word is not advantageous advantageous to what they want, uh, they're wanting to do or what they want to acquire or something. They'll just jettison the word of God. Guys, obedience and commitment to God won't happen by accident. Once again, they are only going to happen on purpose. So like Ezra, prepare your heart to love God by reading and meditating on God's word with the whole intent to obey what God has said. Number two, Love God with all your heart. First one, purpose in your heart to live a life of obedience and commitment to God. Number two, purpose in your heart to control what comes out of your mouth. I don't have to belabor this. It's pretty obvious. I love Psalm 17, verse 3. The psalmist said, You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found, have found nothing um, in the way of sinfulness. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress there's that idea again we're not going to live by accident we're not going to guard what comes out of our mouth by accident it has to be the christian life has to be lived on purpose and that starts when we meditate on what god has said and as ezra did he prepared his heart how first of all by by working on his attitude Lord, I want to obey you. See, that's not even in a lot of Christians' hearts anymore. But but Ezra, Lord, I want to obey you. That is my heart. That is my whole purpose for existing. Now, I'm going to go to your word and find out what you have said, then I can apply what you have said into my life and obey you. Purpose in your heart, though, in this new year to control what comes out of your mouth because here are some of the things that come out of people's mouths, especially unbelievers, but Christians fall into this, uh, that we need to, you know, stop. First on the list is lying. Lying. In the same survey I mentioned earlier, among taken among Christians, it said in part, I'm just quoting parts of it, 91% now Christians said that they lie on a regular basis. 86% of children said they lie to their parents regularly. 75% said they lie to their friends. 69% said they lie to their spouses regularly. 50% said they regularly called in sick when they weren't. And of course, you can always add to the list. I'm sure there are other things. So lying has to be stopped. We have to really, you know, God delights in truth in the inward part. And by the way, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it starts in the heart, right? With a purpose that I want to honor God by being truthful. Of course, gossip is a big one. Gossip, every church has been divided um, at times through gossip. I think it's getting worse. I could be wrong. I think that gossip has become a real problem. Uh, In a lot of Christians' lives, of course, we don't call it gossip. We say that uh, we're sharing a prayer request uh, or something, you know. Now, if you're sharing a prayer request, that's fine. But if you're not, God knows the heart. So, you know, be honest with yourself. Gossip is, well, it's, it's forbidden in Scripture. Yet it's so commonplace today, it kind of flies under our moral radar as Christians. We don't take it seriously as being a sin. Like we don't take covetousness uh, seriously enough to think of it as a sin, even though it made God's top ten list, right? Uh, The tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet what belongs to your neighbor and so on. Coveting is at the heart of every other physical sin. Coveting is the sin of the heart, but leads to outward stealing, adultery, and so on. That's why it's such a, a horrendous thing. But gossip, I'll just read these to you. There's so many, but I'll just read you three or four. Um, Proverbs 10 verse 19: In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his with lips is wise. Multitude, keep your keep your conv, keep your prayer requests short. Okay, uh, keep you know your uh, asking for prayer for brother or sister. So keep it short because the more you talk chances are you're going to start gossiping at one point, all right? Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. It's a good prayer. Lord, will you just shut my mouth? I mean, I want to. It's hard. I, I tend to flap mouth a lot. We you, you kind of put, close it, lock, lock it up, okay? Teach me how to be quiet, all right? Of course, we all know Proverbs 6:19. the seven things God hates. One of them is one who sows discord among brethren. That comes through gossip. Of course, this one out of the New Testament, you all know very well. I'll read it to you. It's out of James uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 5 to 10, where James said, The tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kills. You can set a whole forest on fire with a match. It's a very small flame, right? Uh, a lot is a lot of damage is done by a small bit of <laughs> words right and the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity verse 8 it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison with it we bless our god and father and with it we curse men often our brothers and sisters in christ who have been made in his image out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Well, certainly they ought not to be. If the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart and we're out there you know, ripping people apart and telling dirty jokes and using profanity, what does that say about what's in our hearts? Under loving God with all your heart, number three, purpose in your heart to honor God with your finances. Now, we don't talk about money here at Calvary very often. Only when we come to a scripture that God talks about, then we'll talk about it. But Malachi, in Malachi, God said, you know, giving to God. Okay, so purpose, a purpose in your heart to honor God with your finances. And first of all on the list, giving to God. Giving to God. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 10, Israel was not bringing the tithes into God's temple. They were not tithing to God. Now, I believe that tithing was a law for a free man. We are not free. We are slaves of Christ. Therefore, all we have belongs to him. Just let me just go on record. I don't believe in tithing for a Christian for the new, in the new covenant. I believe everything is God's that I own. It's not, Lord, here's your 10%. I'm going to keep the 90 for me. No, Lord, it's all yours. How much do you want? I mean, and God is, at times. maybe you've experienced this, where God will direct Sidney and I to give our whole check for the week to a family that really is uh, that is going through quite a bit financially. And I just trust him to provide, then, you know, make up the difference. I don't worry about it. So it's all his. But speaking to Israel under the Old Covenant, they were not tithing. And it says, you know, verse 8, "'Will a man rob God? Yea, you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings.'" bring all the tithes tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this says the Lord of hosts if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it it's the only place in the Bible where God challenges people to test him test him you obey what I have said with regard to tithing and I will show you that I will not only honor that, I will bless you beyond what you can even imagine. it was Haggai. Am I thinking of Haggai? Where the people of God had come back from the Babylonian captivity, started to clear the foundation where the temple had once stood to rebuild it. As my pastor used to say, Pastor Chuck, when you're moving rocks all day, and there's like a million rocks you have to move, you can move rocks all day, and at the end of the day, it looks like you've accomplished nothing. So they got discouraged after a while. And instead, they began to build their own houses. And not just build them, began to beautify them. A lot of times out the Home Depot or the garden center, and they, you know, just, just buying stuff to keep beautifying their houses more and more. And at one point, God sent the prophet Haggai to the people and said, Look, there's something here that's a real problem. And I want to bring it to your attention. Is it time for you to beautify your house, your houses, but you say, it's not time to beautify my house? See, it got into how their priorities had become skewed. They were not putting God first. If they were, they they weren't loving God with all their heart supremely. If they were, they would have focused on His house because that's where the worship took place. And without the temple of God and the priests and all they couldn't properly worship God and have their sins atoned for yet they didn't seem to care so they focused on themselves they were loving themselves above all else and God says you know some I want to point out to you you're you're focusing all your time and energy building your houses while my house lays in ruins now have you considered this all the money that you have you you make this money right and yet you put it into bags, because these carry money in bags. You put it in bags with holes in them. In other words, the more you work, you never have enough. You ever consider that, God said? Because your priorities are a whack. And when you make put all this overtime and make it all this extra money, I'm whew, blowing it away. And I'm doing that until you get your life right with me and get your priorities straight. Wow. I've never forgotten that from the first time I ever read it. It was so powerful, so penetrating, especially for us who are Americans, right? But Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, But this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He's talking about giving to God. That's the context, right? You want to reap much blessing in heaven, much reward, then you've got to stop, you know, sprinkling a couple of seeds on a piece of a land. You want to harvest much crops, you've got to sow much seed. Now, I know the word of faith teachers have picked up on that and you know talking about sowing your seed faith, you know, send your money and it's your, you're sowing your 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 you know your faith seed seed faith, right? No. Um, but Paul is saying, look, where are your priorities? Again, if God's the priority, you love him above all else in his kingdom. You're going to want to invest in what is truly important to you. Wherever your heart is, what? There your tr- excuse me, wherever your treasures, I should say, there your heart will be also. Spurgeon said, I'll tell you what, or maybe it was Mo- I think it was D.L. Moody. I, c- I-, I can learn more about where a person is spiritually by looking at their checkbook than I can their prayer book. Because people can offer these beautiful, flowery prayers to God. That doesn't show how spiritual they are. Show me their checkbook. How much are they investing in the work of God, in the kingdom of God? See, that's how I know that God has got a hold of a person's heart, Moody said. Because that's where their heart is. That's what they really love. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Here's the caveat, each of you purpose in his own heart what to give god that's why we don't talk about tithing here we don't show up at your house pastor frank or zach and myself with the envelopes for the year and how much or how much can we put you down for we don't do that we let your giving be between i don't even look at who gives what i mean i know every week what the offering was total i never look at who gives what it doesn't matter to me Because you know how the flesh is. It's pretty much you're starting to favor some over the others who are bigger. I don't want that. I know me. Uh, You know, I'm I'm too carnal to look at that, okay? So I just give it to God. I don't worry about it. But know this because we don't talk about giving money uh, very much here at Calvary. It's not an unimportant issue. Look, guys, it's not unimportant because... When you give to God, you're not helping Calvary. You're not helping God. Some of these TV evangelists make it sound like if you don't send your money in, this precious work of God's going to come to a stop. Well, if it's, then, then it should because it's not a precious work of God. God doesn't need my money to keep his work going. He's God. So then why does he want me to give? He doesn't need my money because you and I need to. We need to because we're selfish by nature. We need to give to the work of God. And what happens is God rewards us someday as if it was ours to give when it was really His. We're just giving back to Him. Very quickly honoring God with your finances this year. First of all, in your giving to God, very important. But secondly, when it comes to spending on yourself. Now, I'm, I'm not one of these people that thinks that we, we, we can't go out and buy, go out to eat, or we can't go out and buy uh, some new shoes, or again, a piece of technology, or something like I'm not a, a person who believes, like some, that we have to live in poverty to be spiritual. But because we are Americans, we have so much, it, it's easy to begin to put ourselves. Before the kingdom of God, and I've seen this with a lot of Christians, they lavish their money, the th- money they work for. They work hard, sometimes uh, side jobs and overtime, and they take that extra money and they're buying boats and they're buying new cars and they're buying all kinds of other luxuries. And again, I- I'm not putting that down per se. But then when it comes to giving to God, well, I don't really have anything left, or here's 10 bucks. Now, what do you give to God between you and God? I'm just telling you. As a good steward, listen to me now. And this is what we're called to be. Luke 11, verse 16. Jesus said, And if you are trustworthy about worldly wealth, in other words, you use wisely what God has given you, worldly wealth, If you're, I'm sorry, if you are not trustworthy, if you're untrustworthy uh, is what it says here, about worldly, worldly wealth. You don't use your money wisely. Who's going to trust you with the true riches of heaven? If we can't be faithful to God as stewards, it's required of a steward that they be found faithful. We're stewards of God, of the household of God. Uh, everything we, we, we manage, it belongs to him. But as I said, he lets us have some of it to live our lives. But then how we use what he's blessed us with, well, will determine if we're faithful stewards, though. And Jesus is saying, look, if you can't be trusted to use something as unrighteous as mammon, money, faithfully, why would God ever commit into your hands the, the greater treasures, the kingdom of God, uh, and give you a ministry that would, he might use you for that would build his kingdom in a greater way? Again, guys, it's required of a steward that they be found faithful and spending what you don't have on what you don't need isn't good stewardship. I'll give you one more. We'll close. Obviously, this is going to become a two or three part series. Um, That's a good series for the new year. We all need to focus on what we need to change. And our walk with God is primary. But number four on the list of loving God with all your heart. This new year, purpose in your heart to bring God, listen, into every decision. Now, this is a big one. Loving God with all your heart means that you are you want to be directed by God in all the important areas of your life. I'm not talking about letting God micromanage your life. Lord, what color socks should I wear today? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm of the mindset. God doesn't care, okay? He uh, doesn't care what you wear as long as it's not immoral or immodest, okay? Well, Lord, what should I have for breakfast this morning? You know, it's a, just, you know, don't pick out and pop tarts and you're okay all right but but of course the the, the biggest things and it doesn't have to be monumental things but just things of substance we have to bring god in on these decisions i'll give you two scriptures First, let's turn to them since we're, we're done after this turn to philippians 4 Again, loving God with all your heart means that you purpose in your heart to bring God into every decision. Philippians 4, starting with verse 6, again, read out of the uh, NLT. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, guys, those are life verses for many of us. But how important coming into a new year that we remind ourselves, we remember that, you know what, we are not to do anything apart from prayer. Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 1, men. Women, of course, ought always to pray and listen, not lose heart. Although I've been praying for years for this. For my husband to get saved, my wife or my or my kid or or whatever. I'm getting tired. Well, don't do that. Because Elizabeth and um, Zachariah prayed for many years for a son. She was barren. And then they got probably above the age of childbearing I mean they they were old by this time 70s, 80s maybe and all of a sudden the angel Gabriel comes and announces that Elizabeth is going to have a son a special son that God has waited all this time to give her who will be a voice in the wilderness John who would become the baptizer don't lose heart because you prayed for something a long time and you haven't seen the answer You keep praying. And don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And don't forget to thank God for his answers. Amen. And then finally, turn to Proverbs 3. I know these two verses are life verses for many of you, including myself. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding in any decision you have to make. All right? You can read about how Joshua did that and it was a disaster in the book of Joshua with the Gibeonites. I'll let you check that out on your own. Um, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Listen, seek his will in all you do and he will direct your paths. Why do Christians get off into the weeds? Why do they write, drive off the course? Because they're not looking to God to, to direct them. They're, they're winging it. Christians I'm talking about. Well, I don't have to pray. I know what God wants me to do here. This person is obviously the one I've been praying for, really. Really? The devil knows you've been praying for a wife or a husband for many years. Don't you think you'll try to shove somebody your way that you assume is from God until you pray about it and make sure? Well, how's God going to show me? He's God. He will show you, believe me. So let's leave it there, and let's pick it up, God willing, uh, next week. Remember, everything this week has been canceled uh, due to the holidays and all. And uh, next Sunday, we'll pick this up and um, and to spend another week or two on it as we enter the new year and then get back to our study in John. And uh, we'll pick that up because there's a lot of great things in John 10 we still have to look at. Father, we thank you, Lord, for a new year. And we trust, Lord, that you are going to take us by the hand as a church and as people, individuals, and lead us into this new year, Lord, um, as we seek To love you above all else and as we do and we seek to study your word and do all that you've commanded us to do that lord you will direct our paths so lord we ask you to bless these studies in your word always as we come together and father we ask all this in jesus precious name amen